Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Worst Sister Shire podcast. This week we're covering episodes 9 and 10 of season 1 of Desperate Housewives. We're three sisters who decide to start up a podcast to talk about our favourite TV shows and movies. We're covering Desperate Housewives and Pretty Little Lies on an alternating basis. We have a motto here and our motto is, if attempted murder is a crime, then attempted comedy is a podcast. I'm Suna and joining me in this criminal comedy is my sisters. I'm Sadie. (laughs) And I'm Arzom. Cool. So we'll start off with a quick introduction into the episodes and then we'll get into it. Um, Sadie, did you want to give us a quick recap of episode nine? Yep. So in episode nine, we see that Gabby's throwing a charity event, which is also like a fashion show. And things start to things start to get heated for the ladies so we see gabby and something's up with carlos he's been arrested um susan is being accused of sleeping with john and on the mary alice timeline we see that um mrs huber is still dead and zach's run away from the hospital (laughs) thanks for that recap yeah so in episode 10 mrs huber is still dead like (laughs) Oh, my God. <laughs> I know. It's like three episodes. Get over it. Um, but besides that, this whole episode is called um, Come Back to Me. And it's all about sort of trust and owning up to things. So a lot of people have broken each other's trust in this episode. Um, so like Lynette's breaking trust by spying on her new nanny. Julie's breaking Susan's trust for like secretly hiding Zach in her room. And Susan's breaking Julie's trust for giving him back to his dad. It's all chaos, but it's all a really good episode. Who do we want to start with? I reckon we should start with Lynette. I was about to say Lynette because her story doesn't have anything to do with anyone. All right, Lynette it is. So we start off Lynette's timeline with Tom being a, the usual jackass that he is. He's basically like, don't worry, babe. I'm going to take, take these kids to the park and um, you just enjoy your couple hours of vacation, okay? And yeah. she's like, um, no, Tom, I'm going to be paying bills. I'm going to be cooking dinner and I'm going to get laundry started. What part of that sounds like a vacation? And he's like, oh, you know what? You're right. We'll get pizza. You take a bath, recharge, rejuvenate, live your best life. Um, yeah. And then next week when I go back to work, everything will be normal again. And Lynette basically says, normal for us is me popping pills. We need a nanny. I need help. She, When she's saying this to Tom, she's like, I know it's going to be expensive. I know we can't really afford it, but we have to make it work. But I also know that this is all my fault. But girl, is it all your fault? You have a completely unsupportive husband who's being a bitch to you every two seconds, who is always away from home and is literally like, please throw me a dinner party for six people in 10 seconds. But yeah, so she just puts the blame on herself. And I think she needs to put the blame on Tom a little bit too. What I didn't understand about this scene was how she wants a full-time nanny and you know she wants to go back to work. So why don't you just go back to work at least part-time then if you're going to be getting a full-time nanny anyway because that would A, help offset the cost of the nanny and B, you want to go back to work. Instead, she ends up, and we see now, getting bored because she's got nothing to do because someone's looking after her kids and becoming a freaking spy. Well, I don't know if it's so much that she's bored that she becomes a spy. I think it's because she's sad that she's being replaced. I can I can bet you guys my bottom dollar that even if she went back to work, she wasn't going to enjoy that either. Why? Because when she gets to work, she's going to miss her kids. But she can still spend time with her kids. That's what um afternoons and weekends are for. Yeah. That's what she's going to get when they all get to school anyway. That's like forever away for her, from her for her though. She has like a two month old baby or whatever. I don't know how old the kid is. Oh yeah, she's... that's true. One of them is quite young. I keep forgetting about the youngest one, Penny. But I will say, it is my ideal situation to be a stay at home mum without having to take care of my own kids. Same. I want to be a stay at home mum with no kids. That's the best life. So I feel like <laughs> she knows what she's up to. <laughs> she knows what she's doing, and she's living her best life. Yeah, honestly. So, but you were going to say, Sadie, she goes to approach a nanny, you were telling? Yeah, so in order to get this nanny, she heads up the help of Brie and yeah. she sort yeah. of like... She doesn't just want a regular nanny, she wants an A-list nanny. No, she went and she looked for regular nannies and the regular nannies were like, oh, I'm not going to change diapers, I'm not going to do this or is this included? And she wants someone that she can trust, someone who's going to give the quality of care to the kids that she wants so she heads up Bree to find out where her rich friend's nannies frequent so that she could perhaps go and um steal a nanny yeah so Bree ends up obliging again and sends Lynette to the park 
where she sort of um, views, I guess, other people and then decides that this Claire lady is the best fit for her. She's young, she's cute, she's good with the kids, she's loving. So she decides to begin her she's poaching tactics. She's not falling tactics. asleep on the park bench. <laughs> so she begins her poaching tactics, which include... Um, yeah, acting much as a sleazy man at a bar. I know. You come here often? So she ends up coercing, I think is the right word for it, this Claire woman into opening up about the negative sides of working for the boss that she has and offers her 20% more in pay. Claire starts to work for her. In the next episode, Lynette's kids are like really putting up this fight to not eat their Brussels sprouts, even if they're covered in cheese. Um, Claire's there to help, basically. She's like... Lynette, just go to your lunch. I'm going to take care of the kids. Like, when she does get to leave, she finds herself talking to Brie about how she's worried about the kids and how she doesn't really actually know this woman that she's brought into the house. And Brie is all for her getting a nanny cam. Um, and so that's what Lynette does. She gets a nanny cam. She sets it up in this weird frog gnome thing in a very obvious way. I know. Um, you couldn't miss it. Yeah, but also the camera's, like, really focused on this one specific corner of their kitchen where like you would think you won't see much but apparently Claire does all her entertaining in that one corner I know she only likes to entertain there yeah so she sits up there she practices choking a baby Um, (laughs) and every night she like goes hooks up her little frog to her tv in her bedroom and she has a little watch to see what Claire and the kids have been doing Mm-hmm. And she sees that Claire's doing a really good job and she's happy about it. But she's also very sad about it because she's like, she's doing such a good job. Like, she feels like she's doing better than Lynette would have. Even though she's not happy with that side of raising kids, she does love her kids. And now she's jealous because the kids are having the same bond. Like, what pushed Lynette over the edge with the jealousy was that um Claire got them to give her a three-bear hug. And then as she's trying to spend quality time with her children they're all wanting claire over her Edie rocks up to lynette's house and basically asks her for something that we'll talk about later but um she says you know you're looking really good lynette like you know you don't look half bad and she's like thanks it's the fact that i'm not miserable i have a nanny now but she starts talking to Edie about how she feels like um their mothers back in the day knew what they were doing and they didn't let us go to daycare or have nannies because we'd find out that there are better mothers out there in the world mm. Edie basically says that her mum was this drunk, crazy bitch and she had a nanny slash social worker who was a really tough broad (laughs) and she was so tough, such a disciplinarian that um, it made her miss her drunk-ass mum. So basically if you make Claire seem really shitty, your kids will love you more. That's what Lynette takes away from this. Yeah, and then she makes um, Claire try to give them Brussels sprouts. Um, And then that night she kicks back with a bucket of popcorn and she's like watching her kids have a meltdown and throwing food at her and she's giggling about it i know it's quite psychotic to be honest like what did claire do to deserve this she left her old employment came to something supposedly better and lynette's like a full psycho i know literally day two she's getting her kids to throw brussels sprouts at her and i'm also like i don't know i'm not a parent but if your kids don't like brussels sprouts there's other veggies you can give them. They don't have to Literally. eat Brussels sprouts. No, American TV mums always have to give Brussels sprouts or green beans. There's veggies like normal, regular adults don't like too. They just don't eat them. Eat other veggies. You don't have to eat a Brussels sprout. Eat something you like. Eat a carrot. Eat a capsicum. My kids don't like broccoli, but I can get them to eat cauliflower cheese. I feel like broccoli is such like a neutral veggie though. No, as I'm getting older though, I'm finding things that are changing in my taste palette. Like, I don't feel like I like cooked tomato anymore. I love cooked tomato. I don't necessarily love cooked tomato either. I can eat it raw, but I don't, I prefer not to eat it in food anymore. No, I'm the opposite. I used to hate cooked tomato, but now I love it. You know what? This is a good example. I actually like Brussels sprouts now, but I didn't like them when I was younger. The only vegetable I think I don't like is fennel. I don't even count fennel as a vegetable, to be honest. It just that would be a herb. Maybe it's a herb. I don't think it's a herb. I think it is a vegetable. I just don't count it as one. Do you know what I'm like in love with at the minute? Mm -hmm. You know those like um water chestnuts that you get in the Asian food mixes. Yeah, yeah, I've always loved those. They're so good. Yeah, they've got the best. I found them in cans at the supermarket here. I'm super. I'm I'm in love with them. I'm just adding them to everything now. Something I'm realizing I don't really like unless it's in dip form is eggplant. I love eggplant. I used to like eggplant, but now I feel like the texture's turning me off. Like, it makes my stomach upset. 
five minutes later. Guys, are we done talking about vegetables we like? <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys, listeners, let us know. What vegetables do you hate the most? <laughs> and which ones do you like? Where do you stand on eggplant? Also, do you think fennel is a vegetable? <laughs> And next week we can come back with cleaning products, you guys. You guys right. say this. I found the best spray ever. So actually I have stuff to say about that. Hmm, what is it? What is it? It's from Aldi. Um, and it's like one of those surface sprays that's just for your bungalow, your counters and stuff like that. But it's peach and hibiscus scented and it's amazing. I don't think I'd like that in a cleaning product. I'm very much into like eucalyptus smelling things now. Oh, I don't like eucalyptus that much. I feel like things aren't clean unless they're citrus clean. See, I think things need to be citrus clean first, but then I need to put a scent over it because I don't want my whole house to be a lemon, you know? Why? Lemons are great. Guys, we need to talk about the show. <laughs> All right. We're done with Lynette and we're done with our vegetables. Who are we on to next? I, I reckon it's it's going to be Brie. It's, it's going to be Brie. It's going to be Brie. <laughs> All right. Well, let's do Brie. So Andrew is at this swim meet and – Rex oh and Brie are very loudly discussing that our son committed a hit and run and we've grounded him, but he's still, like, not sad enough. Yeah, and they're talking about this so loud that there's literally a guy listening in Yeah, and makes a comment about, like, because they stopped paying attention to the race and they're like, oh, what happened when everybody starts cheering? And some guy turns around and says to them, that kid you love, you both love so much, he just won the race. Yeah, I know. So did this man not hear you say that your son committed a hit and run? Exactly. There's no way he missed that. If he heard all of that, he heard that about the hit and run. And let me just say, I would have paid good money to be at this swim meet because I love listening to other people's family drama. And this yeah. would have been like the cherry on top of my life. But then later on, Bree's out gardening and she sees Andrew literally hanging out of his window. Um, and so when she goes to go upstairs, he panics because man's been smoking a joint and he puts it out and everything and wafts his hands around the room, wants to get rid of the smell. Yeah. It's no peach and hibiscus, but it's not. No. Andrew looks all happy and stuff. And Bree's like, what are you smiling about? It's like, I'm just thinking of a dirty joke. (laughs) But the main thing we get out of this is, is that Bree wants to see if Andrew's been thinking about what he's done and if he's grown a conscious, basically. And Andrew's just like, yeah, totally, man. Like, yeah, I've been thinking all about it. Like, when I do the things that I did and then you have to do the things that you did and it's just, it's really rough, but things get smoothed out. And she notices the smell of the marijuana in his room and she's like, have you been smoking? And um, he's, he says no, but she runs downstairs to get a Tupperware container for to in. First of all, her Tupperware cabinet is immaculate. Of course it is because she's Brie. And so she brings um this little almost perfect for peeing in Tupperware I know. Container. Literally, I was just thinking that. Do you think she bought them for this reason or for, like, juice? I don't know. But they were, like, the perfect peeing container. Um, and she gets him to pee in it. And then she takes her Tupperware container full of Andrew's oh my God. pee down to the golf course where Rex is playing golf. And she comes up drives up to him in her little buggy and runs up to him and is like, we need to talk. And he's like, what's in the container? And she's like, your son's pee. <laughs> yeah. So then um, he's like, okay, like give us a moment to his buddy. Bree wants him to um, go get the pee tested. At first I was like, why doesn't she just do it herself? Then I remembered he's a doctor, brain time. Yeah, but also just go to a chemist and get a home test yourself. Do they have those? Do yeah, they, they do. Tests? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know they had home tests. The other thing we mentioned earlier is Brie really wants to throw Andrew off the um, swimming team because she thinks he's not taking this seriously and it hasn't really impacted him. He's got no conscience. Um, She wants him off. And Rex is like, no, we're not going to punish him because this is just like what he loves. Yeah, and he's like, he needs to get an athletic scholarship and stuff as well and we're not going to throw his whole life away because of one mistake, basically. Yeah, just because he almost killed a woman, we're not going to throw his life away. And Rex kind of takes that same approach here. Brie was getting, like, real mad about it. Rex basically said, I'm done listening to you. I don't need to, like, you know, let you walk all over me anymore. We're getting divorced, Brie. And um, the last, like, 18 years of marriage have been a lie because you make a decision and I just go with it and I lie about being okay with it, basically. Yeah, he says he was smiling and lying for 18 years. Yeah. And 
Bree just dumps this pea all over Rex. And he's like, what the hell did you just do that? Like, what the hell did you just do? And she's like, the same thing that you just did to every memory of our marriage. Slay Bree. Go, Bree, go. Okay, so, like, Bree is, like, toxic, right? She's not, like, healthy. But I believe, I believe she can do no wrong. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like this was deserved. I feel like on this podcast, we support women's rights and women's wrongs, you know? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. We do. So even if it was deserved and nasty, I support Brie, you know? No, I support it because it was deserved. He's a jerk. He is a jerk. Especially because we, you know, we'll get to it now, but we find out what an a-hole he's been. Indeed. Next thing that Brie decides is, well, if um, Rex isn't going to play a game with her, then she's going to do it herself. But she first went to get the... um, she first asked Danielle where he might be keeping his marijuana and she says he's locker. So she goes there to take it. But while she's there, she has a beautiful idea and she's like, hmm, I'm going to leave this right here. Sorry to butt in, but did this scene not remind you of the Grinch? Um, when he gets that, like, that big smile on his face after he gets a bright idea to steal Christmas, she looked exactly like the Grinch. Like just massive smile and just closes the locker and leaves. What's the thing that they say in the Grinch? A terrible, awful, wonderful idea. Yeah, <laughs> literally. Um, then the school gets a call about um, what Andrew's got in his locker and then they call Lynette. Um, they call, sorry, why would they call Lynette? She's got nothing to do with this. They call Brie and um, Brie has just got like the most straight face being like, oh, I'm so horrified. There must be a mistake. I'll be right down. And she's still fixing her flower arrangement. I know. So, like, she did that like a pro. And then we skip to Rex suddenly becoming a parent. Um, And he's lecturing, um, you know, Andrew about what he's done. And Andrew's just basically like, who do you think set this all up? Blah, 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 blah. It was an anonymous tip. And he's, like, staring at Brie. And then he's saying, it wasn't even mine. I was just holding it for a friend. And Rex is like, know. you know, I don't know which is worse. You being caught with caught with pot or the fact that you can't come up with a decent lie. And then he sends him to his room. Yeah, I think that's the thing that Rex was truly um, disappointed in. The yeah. The creativity in the lie. I know. I didn't see him yelling this much when he literally hit a person the other week. Yeah, that's fine. He just made a mistake. He's just a boy. Anyway, guys, let's move on to the next episode because this is the one that I'm most excited for. Yes, we find out oh. a bit about how Maisie Gibbons spends her days. Yes. So we'll remember Maisie Gibbons is the super mum, not the super mum, but the angry school mum of the PTA in Lynette's um, play. Mm-hmm. So we find out Maisie Gibbons spends her days, she spends her mornings like running her errands and her evenings with homework and housework. But in the afternoons, she helps frustrated, lonely men feel less lonely for money. <laughs> Yes, exactly. <laughs> All right, under the noses of Wisteria Lane wives. And um, one of her customers is, um, when we kind of find out about what she's doing, we see her talking to one of her customers and he asks her about, like, how she keeps this a secret and how she came about to do it. And, she, you know, I don't know if this is a common thing for people who entertain guys for money, makes lonely guys feel less lonely for money. Yeah. But she tells him her whole life story. And she says there was this woman at the like country club um, that basically like really judged me, and I saw the pity in her eye when we had no money and we were about to lose our membership. And you know, I don't, she made a big point of saying that she doesn't like the pity. She then started doing this thing because they were out of money, but she realized that she you know enjoyed it. And a couple of months later, um, one of her that lady's husband became one of her regulars and she found like she took great pride in this almost and then she says to the um client oh you gotta go because my next appointment is here and it's the husband of the woman that i was telling you about and she goes and opens the door and guess who's standing there rex vanderkamp dun 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 jaw drop moment what did you think when you saw this lady i was shocked i was shocked because especially because like at that point, you didn't know what she was doing that was so different from Brie. And then when you find out why, I was even more shocked. Yeah, no, 
No, but yeah, I feel like I was expecting this, obviously, because I've seen this show before, but I feel like it's a jaw-dropping moment to see Rex at the door. I know. I feel like it's so good. And, like, this is what he couldn't tell Bree, because up to this point, I was assuming he was gay. Mm. Yeah, so she's, like, telling this guy her whole life story, which is, I find, a bit weird. But we find out that Maisie's just very open with everyone all the time, because she's like, no one's ever going to tell my secrets that implicating themselves, essentially. Mm. Eventually... We see Brie is, like, waiting at home for Rex when he goes out. And, you know, she goes up and smells his jacket and she's like, were you with another woman? And he kind of just says, it's none of your business. We're still getting divorced even if I'm living here. I'm exploring my options. I'm allowed to do that. And you should go out and meet someone too. And Brie's just kind of like, how am I meant to do that, Rex? I'm raising your children. I know. And he literally said to Andrew last episode, I don't have time to be a parent right now. I've got to find myself. Yeah, literally. Exactly. (laughs) He's like, you know what, Brie, I have nothing to be ashamed of. So Brie being the absolute petty toxic queen that she is, opens up the doors and is like, Andrew, Danielle, come down. Daddy's going to fornicate for us. (laughs) My absolute favorite part of these episodes. I know. Same. Same. Brie is just, wow. She's something else. I love her. Why is no one thinking of the children? Like, yeah, it's funny that she said that, but what if the kids had actually heard her? He has nothing to be ashamed of. What's the problem? Yeah, he's got nothing to be ashamed of. That's what he said. Okay, but why are you dragging your kids into your petty arguments? Why are her kids dragging her into a hit and run? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And why was um, Rex dragging her kids into it too? He was the one that was trying to bribe them before he kicked them out of his house. Literally, like I said, we support women's wrongs. Don't question her. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway, Maisie's like, we next see Rex and Maisie talking and she's getting out some pretty funky tools for her entertaining. Um, And basically she's asking him, so I heard you move back home. He's like, yep, we're having problems with Andrew. And he's help. Like she's asking him, do you want like, the pearl choker or the spikes and he's like your choice um she seems to be a bit of a dominatrix Mm. um but she's a romantic at heart so she really thinks that him and brie are going to end up together Mm. and that you know if you still love her um why don't you ask brie he's like because she's gonna say no and Maisie says that doesn't mean anything like i've said no to things you've asked me to do before and rex says that's different i don't care if you reject me or not so yeah. this is telling us that he does still love Brie and he does care about whether or not she rejects him. Um, but Rex kind of says it's just a horrible sacrifice, isn't it? Um, yeah. Having to choose between love or passion, right? It's an awful choice yeah. to make. Then Maisie and Rex are getting busy. Um, <laughs> and Rex has a heart attack and almost died. Oh, as Amazon's note says, the Rex starts mid-sex. <laughs> what? <laughs> I forgot so I can see my notes. My note says Rex thuds mix mid-sex. <laughs> Rex thuds mid-sex is my favourite note to date. <laughs> well, he does thud mid-sex and we find out it, that he's had a heart attack. And it's a severe one because he's got to have surgery to rectify the problem. When Brie gets this call, she's going through Gabby's things. We'll explain why later. Yeah, so she goes to the hospital and she declares herself as Brie Vanderkamp, um, Rex's wife. And the nurse there tells her that, um, you know, oh, I must have been thinking about another patient because she's a little bit frazzled as to who signed him in then. So Brie, noticing this, goes around the back of the nurse's desk and takes a look at who signed him in, which is Maisie Gibbons. While Rex is still in surgery, she decides to go pay Maisie a visit. Yeah, and Maisie's like, oh, what a surprise. Do you want to come in? Brie's like, that depends. Are you sleeping with my husband? (laughs) Yeah, she's straight to business. I know. So this whole interaction between Brie and Maisie was one of my favourite scenes in the show to date. Because it's so diplomatically vicious. Also, I feel like diplomatically vicious would be a good band name. Oh my god, (laughs) so true. (laughs) But what I really loved is because Brie didn't even know this. Like, Brie didn't even know that Maisie is like, you know, the thing that she hates the most is pity. Yeah. And after she said all of this, she expected Brie to be like mad at her or, um, you know, be jealous or whatever. And she didn't upset um humiliated and Bree's like no I'm not I just pity you 
and like you know that that destroyed Maisie. That's the yeah, one hundred percent. Want to hear? Yeah, you saw it on her face. I loved it. I loved it. It was so good. I was gonna say this is my favorite. Um, they were all good. Brie had so many quality moments in these episodes. Can oh, I say? you know what? I lied. My favorite moment still hasn't come up yet, but it's about to. Okay. Oh yes, is it at the hospital? Yes. Oh my god. Do you want to talk about it? Iconic. Yes, please. Like I beg of you, I want to speak about this. Go. <laughs> um, so after she has this chat with Maisie, and Maisie's like, "Oh, your husband still loves you, but like he wants something that you're not giving him sexually, whatever." She leaves. Um, mm-hmm. And when she's at the hospital, Rex wakes up. And he's like, oh, I guess they operated her. And she's like, yeah. And it went well. You're going to be as good as new. And Rex sees that she's been crying. And, you know, she goes and holds his hand. And she's like, yes, Rex, I'm really, like, I have been crying. Like, um, I was so worried you were going to die. And there's so much I never got to say. Um, How are you right now, darling? Like, are you strong enough to hear what I have to say? And he's like, yeah, sure, honey. Um, Mm. And then she says, Rex, I know you love me. Maisie told me and as of this moment I am no longer your wife I'm going to go out and get the most vindictive lawyer I can and we're going to eviscerate you and take away your family your money and your dignity Uh, I'm so thrilled that you still love me because I want this to hurt as much as humanly possible and I'm glad you didn't die before I got to tell you this like oh my god mic drop I know. Like, Brie is a bad bitch. Like, imagine saying this is someone who just, like, escaped death. He escaped death, but she killed it. I know, literally. He's going to wish he was dead after that. Brie is, like, easily my favourite housewife, I feel like. I think I like them all equally. So, for me, it goes Brie, Lynette, Gabby, and then literally everyone else in the world, and then Susan. (laughs) No, can I say, Susan had some stellar moments in these episodes. We'll get into it when we talk to Susan, but I feel like she's just more of the is exact she same. On the podcast? Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> she is, and I wish she would, because I could say this to her her face. But all she does is make everything about her. Yeah, but I feel like you know there were some things that had to be said, and she said them. We'll get to it in a second. I think. Um, I think we'll get to it now. Do you reckon we'll do Susan next? Yeah, yeah. you lead. I follow. Where you lead, I will follow. Anywhere that you tell, tell me, me to, if you need me to be. Ah, uh, that's the next show we're covering. I know. Okay, so you say this, but don't tempt me with a good time because I have been reading so much fan fiction about this, about Gilmore Girls. There's Gilmore Girls fan fiction? Yes. Oh my God, there's what? so much. There's so many different perspectives. Well, I read one the other day that was written about Miss Patty's love life. Ooh, saucy. I know. You, you know she gets busy. You know she does. So, like, it's not just about Lorelai and her options and not about Rory and her options and people and stuff like that. It's about Miss Patty as well. And it, mm, I, I love yeah. it. I'll send you a link. <laughs> like, yeah, please do. <laughs> I changed my mind. I think we should cover Susan and Mary Alice together. Yeah, so that's what I kind of did because it's like Susan and Mary Alice are so related and then the rest of Susan drama fits into Gabby. So I don't think she has her own personal storyline. I think, yeah, let's cover Gabby and then do Susan slash Mary Alice. Yeah, sounds good to me. So when we start with Gabby, uh, we find out about um, her history of having great ideas. Gabby's always had some great ideas. Had her first one when she was 15. And she decided to buy a bus ticket to New York after her stepfather paid her a visit. Um, Her next great idea was that she seduced a fashion photographer, which launched her um, modeling career. Then she decided to marry Carlos. Then she decided to have an affair with John. And now she was deciding what her next great big idea was going to be. So a nosy little nurse comes into the um, room where she's sitting next to her mother-in-law And the nurse is asking her what's wrong. And she says, oh, I'm just thinking about my life. Like, it's not exactly what I expected it to be. Actually, first Um, the nurse is like, oh, you have to give it time. Like, I know you're sad about your mother-in-law. And Gabby's like, no, I'm not. Yeah, that's not it. I've got other things on my mind. Yeah. And, um, yeah, she says she's just not satisfied with her life. And she asks the nurse if the nurse is. And she's like, yeah, like, I help. Like, I go home every day knowing that I help with some people. And it's hard, but, like, it makes me feel good. Um, but it is like, you know, we've got a shortage, it's a lot of hard work. 
and she sees the nurse rush off and like try to save someone's life. And you think this is going down the route of Gabby getting an idea that she's going to want to help people by being a nurse or something. But no, she gets her next idea. And her next idea is to have a fashion show to raise money for nurses. (laughs) Um, And the hilarious thing is when she's in the fashion show getting people ready, there's a woman who's like freaking out about the dress that she's going to wear. She doesn't want to wear it. She doesn't think it'll suit her. And Gabby gives her the same speech that the nurse was giving the guy that she was helping um, who was about to go into some sort of arrest. And she's like, I need you to be brave now. And Gabby says the same thing to the woman who's worried about her dress. I know. It's like, yeah, because saving someone's life and making them breathe is the same thing as being fat. She's hanging out an awful lot with um, John's mum at this thing. And they start talking about John. Helen, I think her name is, thanks her for giving him a job and like – Gabby's really creepy in this scene and she's like, oh, believe me, it's my pleasure. I know. I wanted to throw up. Gabby, that's disgusting. Literally. She's so gross this whole episode. And then she finds out that uh, John and Danielle might be breaking up because her mum's like, his mum is like, well, you know what it was like dating teenage boys. I think um, Danielle wants a relationship more than John does. Um, But then we see kind of Carlos come in in the background and he's screaming angrily on the phone. And Gabby says, I don't know what his problem is. Like, he's making plenty of money. He just needs to relax. And then we see John is there to volunteer and help. Um, And Gabby's disgusting again. And she's like, oh, I'm not surprised. You've always been a giver. Yeah. And she's, like, major hitting on him in front of all these adults and in front of his mum. I know. Like, And no one's picking up on it. Gabby gets John to sit down and alphabetize some cards. So while she's sitting across from him, She's um, putting her foot literally in his crotch. Those tables weren't even covered on the side or anything. I don't know what the hell she was doing. I don't know how she thought no one was going to see them. But anyway, as luck would have it, Susan goes to help Helen. She drops a bunch of cards on the floor because she's silly, clumsy Susan. Yeah, and when she goes to pick them up, she sees what's been happening under the table. And, like, when I tell you this was a close call, because, like, what if Helen picked them up? Then I feel like the next scene is where some of Susan's good qualities start to come out. You're right in that she doesn't make it about herself. We'll talk about that. But she addresses Gabby and she's like, do you want to tell me why you had your foot in John's crotch yesterday? Gabby tries to make up an excuse and she's like, oh, he was helping me with like my shoelace or whatever she was saying. The seam of my stocking. Realign her stocking. Yeah, the seam of my stocking. And so Susan raises the point that he's underage and you shouldn't be doing this. But she is more focused on the fact that she's cheating on Carlos. That's the thing she's hung up about. Yeah. And she's like, you know, you saw me with Carl. You saw what it was like. You saw how hard it was on me. How could you do this? The other thing that I liked is, like, Gabby starts saying, oh, you don't know what problems I have. And Susan's like, what problems do you have? You're beautiful. You have more money than you can spend. And you have a husband who adores you. Gabby needed to be told this. Yeah, I do <laughs> she, agree. She needed to be told that. She needs a reality check because she acts like she's so hard done by. Your, like, your life is really good and it's the one you chose. So I don't know what you're complaining about. I guess John comes over to tell Danielle, I mean, to tell Gabby that he broke up with Danielle. But Gabby tells him that it's bad timing because by this stage, um, you know, she found out that Susan knew and she thought that she was going to have to um, break up with John. So, yeah, so while um, John is playing basketball with one of his bros, anyway, when the friend says that you're credible explode at school when people find out that you're doing a hot housewife, his mum is taking out the trash and she hears. She starts following him around to see who this married lady might be. She comes across him going to Susan's house. So Susan's sitting in her front yard and John gets there and he wants to talk about his relationship with Gabby. And he says, look, I know you know, but I want to tell you that... um, it's a deep and it's real and we have a real future. And this is like another time that I really like Susan in these episodes. It's that she gives him a reality check. She's like, John, it's not going to happen. Like she's not going to run off with you and leave Carlos. And John's like, well, why not? And Susan's like, because he has money and you're not real. You're not mature enough to make this decision and have a realistic perspective on things. Like you're just not. And I really like Susan for telling it like, it was because he also needed to hear this but john claims that she's the one he loves her like he just has to be with her and susan sees how heartbroken he is so she goes to comfort him um except helen is spying on them this whole time and now she thinks 
that Susan is the hot housewife he's having an affair with. Also, like, I get you trying to comfort him, Susan, but do you really need to be, like, rubbing up his face? I feel like, yeah, hugging him would have been better than caressing his face, to be honest. Yeah, but whatever that lady saw, she was going to think Susan anyway. I've hugged a lot of people in my life. There's very few people I've caressed the faces of. And two of them have been your dogs, and the other two have been mine. (laughs) (laughs) Not counting dogs, because I will touch the face of every single dog I see. That's true. (laughs) Not counting dogs. I have not caressed very many faces in my lifetime. And I feel like it is weird to caress the face of someone that you're just comforting. So then we're back at the fashion show. Yes. And we find out that, so another hint towards what's going on with Carlos. He can't um, do the emceeing anymore. He's backed out because he had a work emergency. But Tom steps in and um, Lynette finds him dorkily charming, which is real nice. Yeah. And the women, I guess, are getting ready to get on stage. So Susan's worn her white dress that Edie tried to steal from her earlier. And she looks fabulous. Everyone's just obsessed with her. And they're like, you should wear this all the time. Never take that off. Like, you look amazing. Edie also comes in at this moment. And she shows off her dress. She made it short. She asks, can you see that I'm not wearing any underwear? And they say yes. I know. (laughs) And she says, good. I don't know how to classify Edie. I don't know if she's trash or if she's if she's great. She may be trash, but she's still a human being. <laughs> like you can see that she's a caring friend and that from the way that she's uh, asking about Huber when no one else is. Yeah, so Susan's um kind of getting ready. She's gonna be like the last one up on stage, I think. And Helen shows up and she confronts Susan. And Susan has no idea what's going on. She's like apologizing to her, and Helen's getting like real mad at her. And Susan still thinks it's about the show. It's just like, this I is know. for charity. Like, this isn't, like, I don't know. Like, this is for charity, Helen. I'm sorry. Yeah, Helen just goes mental and, like, she hits Susan and then they get into a little fight. Like, Susan's dress is ripped apart. She's now wearing a mini skirt. Like I know. My note is that, like, Susan has found another, like, accidental reason to be naked, basically. Yeah. And then while she's, like, half naked, some guy just comes and pushes her on stage and she doesn't get a chance to say no or to run away. So she's kind of pushed yeah. on the stage. Her hair is a mess. Her dress is ripped. She's got like one piece of cloth covering her coochie as she's walking down the runway. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> and then she has to move that cloth to her butt when she's running away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But Gabby comes in and she's like, oh, Susan, I feel so awful about what happened. Um, please talk to me. <laughs> Like, as if, like, I don't know, it wasn't humiliating and, like, life-ruining for her. Susan says, okay, you want to talk fine? Um, go tell Helen Rowland that I'm not the one boning her teenage son. Um, yeah. You know, go tell her it was you. And she's like, I can't do that. Carlos will leave me. But Gabby does something that I didn't actually ex- expect Gabby to ever actually do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She takes responsibility. Yeah, she takes responsibility. Somewhat. Susan basically told her, if you don't tell her, I will, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because fair enough, like, I don't care if she's your friend. You don't take the rap for being a pedophile. And Gabby goes up to Helen and says, hey, like, sorry, it wasn't Susan who, like, slept with your son. It was me. Um, but don't worry now. It's all over. Yeah, she take, she says this so lightly. Like, she expects Helen to just be over it. Like, um, excuse me. Like, you abused my son. And, you know, Helen doesn't throw down with Gabby now. <laughs> but she kind of just stares at her. And she's like, how long was it going on for? And she goes, you know, almost a year. Or just over a year now. But don't worry, it's yeah. over. And Helen does the math because she can count. So she's like, so yeah. he was 16. And yeah. she goes, uh, yeah, I, I think so. I guess so. And she goes, well, then it's not over. And then she walks away. <laughs> Later on, we can see Gabby's like working up to tell Carlos as well. Because she's worried that, you know, Helen's going to tell him or tell the police or something. Mm. Um so she's working up to tell Carlos what's happened, but she ends up just saying to him, like, I'm going to go to bed. And he's like, thanks for the newsflash. You can see that he's, like, really busy with something, though. You can see his mind is caught up with something. But before she goes up to bed, she sees some police sirens um, yes. and, and, like, lights flashing coming up to the car. Uh, and she thinks they're there to arrest her. So she panics and she's like to Carlos, I have to tell you something. Like, I've got to tell you something. But the police come in before she has a chance to. And they don't arrest her. They arrest Carlos. Yeah. I know. Plot twist. Yeah. So Carlos Carlos gets dragged away. 
So it's the FBI that's coming to get him. So this sounds serious. It's not your local um, police. And um, he says everything will be fine. And Tanaka set him up um, and just called the lawyer. Yeah, so um, Carlos is still in jail. And they're at a bail hearing. And obviously bail has been denied because he's got money. Um, they tried to say that you know his mum is in hospital. He's the sole provider for his family. But the, the court just basically said, hand over your passport and you're free to go. They're worried he's a flight risk. So, yeah, they want his passport before they let him go. The question I had is, can't the, can't the government just cancel your passport? That's what I was going to say. Can't they just put you on, like, a no-fly list? Yeah, surely they can do something. So they want him to hand over his passport. His passport is at home, and it looks like Gabby has to find it. So she enlists the help of Yao Lin, who is very worried that she's not going to be paid. So Gabby sort of says to her, you don't get poor overnight. And goes to do a grand gesture of writing her a check for three weeks in advance. As she's writing this check, her car gets impounded by the government. (laughs) What I love is when it's getting taken away, um, she makes a show of, like, trying to pretend to the neighbours that it's not because it's getting repossessed. She's like, you called it a paint job! I know. (laughs) (laughs) So she's, like, really trying to stay face here. She goes back into the house where the lawyer comes to see her and he basically says to her that if you don't want it taken away, you have to get rid of it. They can't take what they can't find. Quick as a whip, she decides to grab all of her belongings, cart them off to Bree's house in her garage so that they're not repossessed by the government. Yeah, but she says to Bree, can I put a few things in your garage? And literally her whole house is in there now. I know, literally. Like, I feel like she was very smart too. She like wheeled everything over on her couch. I know. Can I just ask how none of that fell? Talent. Anyway, so everything's all in Bree's garage. When the FBI turned back up to repossess everything this time, there's nothing there for them to repossess. Anyway, so um, she goes to see her husband, Carlos, in the jail. And he's very um taken aback by how she's handling all of this he expected her to sort of be more um withdrawn or like a duck out of water don't know what to do <laughs> the saying is a fish out of water ducks come out of water all the time. i know <laughs> <laughs> all right so like a fish out of water then right and he's like floundering around trying to um trying to find her bearings but no like gabby's stepped up and she's um taking care of things and um they go in for a kiss and he sort of whispers to her that there's a back panel that's a false panel in his cupboard and for her to find it, take the take the passport, bring it to the courthouse and burn the papers that she finds. So yeah. when Gabby goes to do this, she's face to face with a dilemma because I mm-hmm. think the, um, the papers are like implicating um, Carlos in his transactions with Tanaka. So they might actually cause him to go to jail. It also gives Gabby an out. So with the last scene that we see with Gabby, she's sitting in front of a fire and she throws the passport into the fire rather than the papers. Yeah, and that was um everything for Gabby. So do we want to do Susan slash Mary Alice Young now? Yeah. yeah. Mm. We start off the episode with Julie getting a letter from Zach and Susan's basically just like attached to her. She's like, oh my God, like Julie, you got this letter. Like open it right now. Julie's kind of like, mm, yeah, um, I've got homework. So and she's like, are you like crazy? Like open up this letter. And Julie ends up telling her like, this isn't the first letter I've gotten. We've been writing each other for weeks and it's it's private basically. And then meanwhile, um, yes, people are starting to notice that Miss um, Hoover is, has disappeared. And um, but at the moment, no one's raised any alarms because if you remember the fight that um, – Edie had with Mrs. Hoover. Mrs. Hoover said, I'm going to my sister's and I want you out by the time I get back. So um, Edie's like, oh, she must still be at her sister's. So nobody's really concerned yet about where she might be. But they make a, they're talking about her and how she was going to wear a black dress at the thing. And Edie's like, but Martha would never be caught dead in black. And we find out that that's no longer true because we see her very sadly wrapped up in black, black plastic bags and Paul is burying her somewhere. 
Not very well, though. Her hands are sticking out. We see that Paul is at his house and he's kind of washing the blood out of his clothes and stuff or he's trying to throw them out. I don't know what he's doing, but... It's so bizarre, though, because, like, he walks out with this trash bag full of murder clothes. Murder yeah, clothes. Oh, my God, I wrote murder clothes on my thing, too. <laughs> <laughs> on my notes, I wrote Paul is cleaning up his murder clothes. Uh, I just wrote washing blood out of their clothes, but I said murder clothes. Maybe we're the same. Anyway, the doctor that comes over is called Dr. Sicker, which I'm like, I would never go to a doctor who's called Sicker because I want to get healthier, not sicker. Did no one else find that funny? <laughs> I found it funny. I just had to load. <laughs> um, anyway, so what Dr. Sicker tells um, Paul is that apparently Zach has escaped probably during a shift change from Silvercrest. And all Paul can say is, yeah, it's been one of those days. Yeah, <laughs> one of those days where I murder someone and my son goes missing. I know. <laughs> Literally. Um, but we find out from this doctor that I don't even know what kind of, like, so not only does he have a crazy name, he has a crazy practice because he's like, well, this is kind of your fault because you insisted that we medicate Zach without psychotherapy. And that's a recipe for disaster. And I'm like, what kind of a professional just does what they're told if they know, know. it's not going to work out good? And also, like, he says, oh, well, I don't know what you were expecting or why you are mad at us. We're not a secure facility. <laughs> I know. Yeah. We lost your underage <laughs> son, but Saws, it's your fault. Anyway, then we find out that Zach is just across the street at Julie's. I know. Julie is just basically giving all of her cash to Zach because he's planning a great escape. Yeah. He's like, you know, it's better that you don't know what's going on, Julie. Um, but Julie gets out the blanket and she says, I already know a little. And they kind of stare for a while. And he's like, so when I was four, I heard my parents yelling my name and hers, Dana, just over and over again. So I went downstairs and I saw them cleaning up blood. Julie's kind of like, oh, like, was it Dana's? And he says he thinks so. but And he couldn't remember this for forever. But when his mum killed herself, you know, he started to have these dreams again and he would remember his mum picking him up saying like, oh, it's not your fault, honey. It's not your fault. Everything's going to be okay. And then every time I said her name after that, they'd get really upset to the point where I wasn't allowed to say it. And Julie's kind of just like, I don't know what you're trying to say, Zach. And he admits and says, I think I killed my baby sister. Julie's kind of like, oh my God, and hugs him to like, you know, comfort him. Um, and he's saying that like, I think they buried her to protect me. And Zach thinks this is a really romantic moment for them. Oh, my God. I know. He literally just kisses her and Julie looks so uncomfortable. Because, like, you just you murdered someone when you were a child. Like, you think this is a romantic time to make your move. Then we cut to a scene where the investigators that discovered the body and the chest are talking to the guy who makes those chests. Trying to find out who he might have sold them to if he's got records of exactly. it. Exactly. And so the guy kind of says, oh, I'll look back, but, you know. It's been a while and they want records for the past like 10 years or so. Meanwhile, Paul shows up at Mayer's, Myers, um, Susan's house. Yeah. <laughs> um, they show up at Susan's house. He shows up at Susan's house to talk to Julie. And he's basically asking, like, do you know where Zach is? And he wants to know because he, in his room at Silvercrest or wherever his, what his rehab was called, he saw that there were letters left there between him and Julie. And he wants to see the letters that Zach sent to her. And Julie says, like, you know, they're private, but don't worry. They don't say anything about where to find Zach. And Susan backs her up. She's like, you know, my daughter doesn't lie. And if she doesn't think it's going to help you, it's not going to help you. So I'm sorry. I know you're very worried and you must be, like, you know, absolutely beside yourself. And he's kind of just like, yeah, obviously you don't understand how worried I am because, um, you know, otherwise you would let me read those letters. My child's missing. But Julie doesn't lie. Yeah, but also imagine if Susan was in that situation and Paul wouldn't let her read the letter. She would flip her shit. Absolutely. She would believe there's something There's something up, you know? Mm. Yeah, we also cut to the end again for them where the investigators are talking to the guy who's sold them the chest again and he's basically just said the way that they fit an adult female body into this chest is by cutting them up. What thoughts do you have, Sadie, at this stage? Now it's an adult female. So Dana could be like a real person, like not a kid, like a like she is an adult female. They I don't know. Anyway, let's um finish off. So we've got episode ten left for Susan slash Mary Alice. Um we see Edie, like Sadie said, um, is the only one that's really noticing that she's gone. She's gone over there to knock a few times, newspapers everywhere. And when she does go to speak to Lynette, she's asking for a spare key because she needs to go in there and get some stuff. 
But then we actually end the episode with um, Edie being there at the front door with the police doing like a wellness check on Martha's house. But as for Susan, we start the episode off with Julie like piling up all this Chinese food onto her plate while Mike and Susan make out beside her. And then Susan, who's literally holding four takeaway containers and one pair of chopsticks is like, whoa, someone's hungry. But also, it's obviously out of character because she's bringing all that of that food to um, Zach. Zach, yeah. Julie says to her also, but by the way, I also can't um, go to Dad's this weekend because him and Brandy might be breaking up. So sad for you guys. You don't get a romantic weekend. Bye. Yeah. Um, and Susan's just like, God damn it, Carl. Like you're already like when I've been married to you and I'm still not having sex kind of a thing. And Mike's like, we can still like hook up. We can still have sex. Just come to my house. And she's like, no, I need my things around me. Like I need my perfumes and my oils and I need to be in complete control of the lighting. Like we just have to wait until next weekend. And then they make out with food in their mouth still. Like she took a bite and then made out with him. We go upstairs with Julie and she's actually feeding Zach who is eating his Chinese food like an animal. He's stabbing his spring rolls with a chopstick. (laughs) I don't like it. (laughs) Um. Like, how else are they going to show you that he's a psycho? So she's kind of just like, okay, I think it's time we told my mum about stuff because, um, you know, what, what what are you going to do basically? And he's like, have you told her already? Like, I ha-, And she's like, no, I haven't said anything. And he's like, okay, well, I'm just going to go then. I don't want to cause any trouble for you. And he puts on his jacket and about to walk out of the room. But it's like, where are you going to go? They're sitting at the bottom of the stairs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But also, like, he didn't even finish his food that he was stabbing. I know, literally. He takes two bites of stab spring roll and then he's going to go walk down into Susan's lap. <laughs> like, really? But the next day, Mike is back early in the middle of the day. So Susan decides she's going to call him for some sexy time. Or what was it called? Sorry, steamy time. Steamy time. And she's like, help me find my pilot light. Bye. And she turns on this like sexy music. She's wearing lingerie. She's tearing up a rose, that, like throwing rose petals everywhere. And... um. She makes she makes sure that they're leading down the hall, and she's having like a little boogie while she's doing this because she's about to get laid. And um, yeah. she goes to Julie's room to steal candles. And when she's walking back towards the door, staring Zach in the face, she doesn't see him there. Yeah. And Zach decides, you know, he needs to get out of there. He needs to get the hell out of Dodge and try and like sneak out. But as he's like creeping out, Mike is sneaking in because Susan left a note on the door saying, "Come inside." And yeah. because she hears creaking, Susan is now suddenly worried that leaving a note to say come in on her unlocked door was a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so she decides she's going to run out with her thigh master and smack Mike in the face with it. It's a logical thing to do. She, she's like, oh, my God, I thought there was someone in the house. And Mike is like, so you took all your clothes off? <laughs> like, yeah. um. And she's like, no, no, I was going to seduce you. So sorry. And starts like making out with him. And then Zach is just standing behind her like, please don't be mad. Yeah. It was just the most chaotic scene ever. And like, once again, Susan is in a chaotic situation, basically naked. And when Julie comes home, Susan looks like, I don't know, she kind of looks really hot because she's like, I know she's wearing more clothes now. She's in the robe though, but she's still wearing her heels. And she's kind of like bent at the hips. I don't know, she just looks really good. I just wanted to point that out. Yeah. She looks really good. <laughs> Julie is like, oh my God, Zach, what are you doing here? Ah, <laughs> kind of a yeah. thing. And then they start arguing. She's like, you know, you can't send Zach back. He's going to end up going back to rehab. And she's like, yes, I can. And then she decides, Mike, you stranger I met two episodes ago and now I'm in love with. What do you think I should do? Julie's angry at her and Susan's like a bit taken aback by this. And she's just, Julie's just kind of like, I just don't want to talk to you right now. She goes away. And when Mike is giving Zach back to Paul, he also gives him his card and says, you know, if you need anything, anytime, something gets too crazy, like give me a call anytime. No, I thought that it was a nice thing for him to do. But going back to what you were just saying about the interaction at the dinner table there, like I can't believe that Susan had to look at Mike for like approval or like support. Yes, you're doing the right. Yeah. Well, I think like Susan was just feeling like a bit overwhelmed with the situation because, you know, Julie doesn't lie. She's never done anything like this. Julie is that person she leans on. And we talk about this later on as well. But if Julie's doing something, I think she feels like there's a reason behind it. And she needs like another adult to back her up right now because she's so used to Julie being that adult. But also it's just like just sound checking, right? Like, am I crazy or is this the... 
is this the right thing to do? Like, sometimes you just want to sound check with someone. But when Zach is handed back to Paul, he gives him, like, the most awkward hug ever. And Paul kind of just asks, like, Mike, like, how did you find him, basically? And Mike's just like, we'll talk later, buddy, and walks away. <laughs> Later on, Julie's like reading alone and Susan is like returning the candles that she borrowed to seduce Mike and Julie's still giving her the cold shoulder and she's just like, Susan's just like, I can't believe you're even mad at me. And Julie makes this whole big thing about, you know, I told Zach he could trust you and, you know, Susan's kind of like, well, someone had to be responsible and, you know, I am your mother. And this is when Julie gets a bit like, well, since when are you my mother? If anyone's been the mother in this like relationship, it's been me. Because remember after your divorce, I know, Mm -hmm. literally. And she's like, because remember after your divorce, you stayed in bed for a whole week and I had to make sure you ate food and then I had to clean the house by myself. I had to book my own doctor's appointment. I paid the bills. And Susan's like, yeah, I was in a really bad place back then. And she's like, this is still happening. Later on when she's hanging out with Mike, she's feeling a bit like sorry for herself because she's like, you know, Julie's right. Like she said I'm a bad mum, but like I do lean on her a lot and it's because I, you know, I've, it's always just been us and like I need to talk about adult stuff and she's there but she's only 13 you know yeah but she's got like five other friends who literally live next door but how is she gonna tell them that she burnt someone's house down exactly yeah <laughs> that's family stuff and Mike's kind of like trying to be supportive and he's like you know you can always talk to me about the adult stuff if you want and Susan oh my god this gave me the ick but she's like how am I meant to talk to you about this plumber I have a crush on <laughs> and he's hot tattoo. Now I was just like, oh my God, stop. Like this literally gave me the ick. You were having an otherwise like good moment. <laughs> One of the last things we see, he's at home having dinner with Paul who just really wants to feed him more potatoes. <laughs> yeah. Like, do you still want more potatoes? <laughs> Every three minutes. You want more potatoes? Um, you already asked me that. <laughs> I know. And he's like, you know what I don't want is to go back to rehab. <laughs> and he's like, okay, but like with everything that's been going on with you, like breaking into the Vander camps and um you know, you getting aggressive and stuff like that. I didn't know what you were going through. I didn't know what to do. And Zach is like, well, you never asked. And I feel like I get it, like where he's coming from. But I also feel like if you've been punched in the face, you don't really leave much room to ask questions. Why? I personally feel like if I've been punched in the face, I'm not going to be like asking, okay, so why did you do that though? <laughs> sure. How are you feeling right now? <laughs> And then, you know, Zach brings up that, you know, I've been remembering things from when I was little and what kind of things, Zach? The awful things, you know? And Mm -hmm. Zach, listen to me. Don't look into the past. It can't help anything. And Zach's like, I can't help it. These images just keep popping up into my brain. And Paul's just like, let's push those back then, shall we? More potatoes. (laughs) And he says yes this time. Yeah, he's like, yeah, sure. Yeah, and that's all for these episodes, right? That is all for these episodes. Does anyone have a worse sister story? I have a quick mini one and it's one that I've done like twice before. I have yet again joined another meeting early. (laughs) This afternoon, I tried to join a meeting that I have on Monday (laughs) and no one was joining. It wasn't letting me join. And I was like, what is going on? And the thing is, I was already in a meeting and I said to my team that I was talking to, like, oh, I'm sorry, I've got to hop off this call for this other meeting. And they're like, yeah, 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 cool. So I hopped off the call to join this other meeting that wasn't a meeting. And then two minutes later, I had to come back and be like, sorry, guys, that meeting didn't exist. <laughs> so that's my worst sister story. Do you have a worst sister story, baby? Apart from awkward conversations, no. <laughs> and this is going to stick with me, right? Mm-hmm. This is going to stick with me. Um, so I was out at a public office, right? Yeah. And I was um, giving, like, my paperwork over to do with taxes. Mm-hmm. And my phone was also next to these papers. And on it is, like, pictures of my kids as my wallpaper, right? So I've put my phone down and then handed my papers across. But as I put my phone down, my screen's turned on. And this this woman, she she says to me, oh, when is it? And I said to her, oh, they're 10 and 5. <laughs> and she's like, what? She's like, oh, it's too early for October. And I was like, no. I said, my kids are 10 and 5. <laughs> too early for October. This conversation is going to be the, the root of my nightmares for, I think, the next couple of years. So I call this meeting to a close. Yes. Do it. Well, thank you everyone for joining us in this episode of Whisperia Lane slash what vegetables we like. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Join us next week for another episode of Shadewood. 
Um, if you've got anything you want to say to us, if you want to tell us your favorite vegetables, for example, you can reach us on our socials. So we're at Sister Worst on Twitter slash X, and we're at Worst Sister Shire on everything else. So Reddit, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. I'll count us out. Yep. Yep. All right. One, two, three. Hadabam. Hadabam.